the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network presents Vatican Insider with Joan Lewis. Each week, Joan brings you news from inside the Vatican and the church around the world, as well as interviews and answers to your questions. Now, here's the host of Vatican Insider, Joan Lewis. Welcome to a World Youth Day edition of Vatican Insider, as the news segment focuses almost exclusively on that event that began August 2nd and ends this weekend with the Pope and young people celebrating a vigil Saturday evening in Lisbon's Edward VII Park, and that will be followed by the concluding Mass Sunday. A number of meetings with Pope Francis and youth were on the papal agenda, including time spent hearing confessions. In this week's interview segment, you're in for a real treat in part two of my talk with my very special guest, Father Hans Zollner, a German Jesuit theologian and psychologist. In 2012, at Rome's Jesuit-run Gregorian University, he founded and was president of the Center for Child Protection. In April 2021, that became the Institute of Anthropology and Interdisciplinary Studies on Human Dignity and Care, and he now directs that institute. Father Zollner is a licensed psychotherapist and is regarded as one of the leading ecclesiastical experts in the field of safeguarding from sexual abuse, especially in the Catholic Church. We talk about the Institute, also known as the Safeguarding Institute, the courses and degrees it offers, and how dioceses around the world are adopting similar programs. Don't miss a word of this conversation. And now the news. Sunday, July 30th. At the Angelus in the Vatican, Pope Francis recalled that July 30th marks two United Nations World Days the World Day Against Trafficking in Persons, and International Friendship Day. He called everyone to work to stop the exploitation of persons through human trafficking, and he prayed for all those in the fight against trafficking. He also renewed his prayers for the victims of the devastating port explosion in Beirut, Lebanon, just days before the three-year anniversary of the disaster, and he prayed the nation may also overcome its current crisis. Monday, July 31st. In the afternoon, Pope Francis went to St. Mary Major Basilica to pray before the icon of Mary, Salus Populi Romani. He entrusted his journey to Portugal and the thousands of young people he will meet there for World Youth Day to the Blessed Virgin. Now, some facts and figures about this World Youth Day. There were 354,000 registered pilgrims, but organizers estimate a million faithful or more will attend the final Mass on Sunday. In fact, over 500,000 attended the Thursday evening opening meeting of World Youth Day with the Pope. Lisbon is hosting 688 bishops, including 30 cardinals. The countries with the most bishops represented are Italy, then Spain, France, the U.S., and Portugal. The organizers have registered 1,753 pilgrims with some kind of disability. Among them, 135 are hearing impaired and 241 are visually impaired. In Lisbon, sign language interpreters will be on hand. Lisbon also boasts 25,000 volunteers. They come mainly from Portugal, Spain, France, Brazil, and Colombia. 
Lisbon boasts 8,831 host families who have accommodated 28,618 pilgrims. The Lisbon 2023 Catering Network is supported by 1,800 participating establishments with a contract to supply 2.7 million meals for the event. 5,000 journalists have registered for World Youth Day. World Youth Day officials report that pilgrims are present from every country on earth except the Maldives. Now let's go forward to Wednesday, August 2nd. Pope Francis arrived in Lisbon to participate in the 37th World Youth Day. This is his 42nd apostolic journey and his second visit to Portugal. He will visit, as I said, the Fatima Shrine on Saturday. The first pope to ever do so was Paul VI in 1967. Pope John Paul visited three times and Benedict XVI once. This is Francis's fourth Youth Day after Rio de Janeiro, Krakow, and Panama City. Wednesday after his arrival, the Pope met with civil, religious, and diplomatic authorities and celebrated Vespers at 5.30 p.m. Also Wednesday, Pope Francis met privately for one hour with 13 Portuguese sexual abuse victims, and he also met with a number of young Ukrainian pilgrims. On his second day in Portugal, the Holy Father addressed students at the Portuguese Catholic University, reminding them, quote, there's no future in a world without God. He invited them to make their faith credible through their choices. After that meeting, the Pope met separately with a number of refugee students from several countries, including Syria. Also Thursday, the Pope met with members of the Scolas Ocorrentes community at its Portuguese headquarters in Cascais, and he put the finishing touch on a massive, three-kilometer-long, multicolored mural symbolizing the beauty of unity in diversity. Scolas Ocorrentes is an international educational movement that links about half a million schools on five continents. The meeting closed the project called Life Between Worlds. In the creation of the mural, 100 community organizations of Cascais participated, as well as over 2,000 individuals who, in groups of 5 to 10, collectively created 300 murals that were gathered into a single work. Also Thursday. Over 500,000 youth attended the official welcoming ceremony for World Youth Day 2023 in a vibrant spectacle of color and sound. The festive nature of the encounter was intended as a celebration of faith and a demonstration of the unity and diversity of a church that combines tradition and modernity. The ceremony featured a cast of some 50 young people from 21 different countries, as well as the World Youth Day Choir and Orchestra, and numerous other musicians showcasing Portuguese culture. A notable addition to this year's opening ceremony was the choreographic performance of the lyrics of the music in Portuguese Sign Language, promoting the participation of those with difficulties hearing. Following the arrival of Pope Francis, a group of young people read selections from letters produced by the cast, representing the thousands of letters the Pope receives each day. The letters highlighted the questions and concerns of youth from around the world, with many asking for advice and prayers for their families, countries, and local churches. 
The Pope had a smaller meeting on Thursday with 40 young people from Turkey. He expressed admiration for their courage in taking up the challenge to rebuild their communities hit by last February's massive earthquake. Friday morning, quite extraordinarily, before leaving the Nunchatur where he is residing, the Holy Father briefly met 106-year-old Maria da Concepcion Brito Mendoza, born on the day of the apparitions in Fatima, May 13, 1917. He also met young Edna Pina Lopez Rodriguez, who suffers from a serious illness, and to whom the Pope had sent a message of affection and prayer last June. Later Friday, Francis celebrated the Sacrament of Reconciliation with three young pilgrims in Lisbon. This took place in the Jardin Vasco de Gama, a public garden adjacent to the largest square in the Iberian Peninsula built in 1940 to celebrate Portugal's history. As he approached the confessional, the Pope was warmly greeted by festive chants from the crowd. However, the Sacrament of Reconciliation took place in private form. The World Youth Day pilgrims present in the park maintained a rigorous silence and then burst out again in joyful choruses to celebrate Pope Francis as he departed for his next engagement. As I write, it is Friday. Tomorrow, Saturday, the Holy Father will go to the Shrine of Fatima. I'll report on that in a future news segment. But now, stay tuned for a Q&A, and then my talk with Father Hans Zollner. Welcome to the Q&A. Again this week, I answer a question about sacred vessels, the proper materials for them, and use of them. This comes from a book, Liturgical Question Box, written by a good friend, now retired, Auxiliary Bishop Peter Elliott of Melbourne, Australia. A person wrote in to ask, In one parish I know the people drink the precious blood from wine glasses. Surely this is not allowed. Bishop Elliot replied, In parishes where the people drink from the chalice, an appropriate set of smaller metal chalices may well be used, but never wine glasses. As already noted, not only are such vessels excluded by the principles of durability, but there is a clear rule that secular vessels are not to be used at Mass. The instruction from the Congregation for Divine Worship, Inestimabile Donum, number 16, rules out, quote, simple baskets and other vessels for ordinary use outside the sacred celebration. Because an ecclesiastical shop sells a wine glass or glass goblet, does not magically turn it into a chalice. Moreover, as anyone who washes dishes knows, it's also more difficult to clean drinking vessels made of glass or ceramic, as that adds a further complication to the purifications. This is Sandra McDevitt with a Did You Know moment. Did you know that in the eternal city of Rome is buried a Native American by the name of Black Ink? Buffalo Bill Cody brought his Wild West show to Rome in 1890. He invited the American seminarians studying there to his show. Sadly, during the visit, one of the Native Americans died, Black Ink. When Cody discovered a badge of the Sacred Heart pinned to Black Ink's chest, he asked for a Catholic burial. Oh, what a sight it must have been for the seminarians in their black cassocks and the Native Americans in their blankets and feathers at the funeral mass. 
one seminarian later said, it was a beautiful impression that never left his mind. So, now you know, with the help of the Sacred Heart, a Native American is buried in the eternal city of Rome. I'm Sandra McDevitt for EWTN Radio. Welcome back to Vatican Insider. Here's Joan Lewis. Welcome back to part two of my conversation with German Jesuit father Hans Zollner, founder of the Gregorian University's Institute of Anthropology, Interdisciplinary Studies on Human Dignity and Care, also known as the Safeguarding Institute, whose work looks not only at safeguarding children from abuse, but also vulnerable adults. Father mentioned reported cases, for example, of abuse of religious sisters by priests. This week, we learn more about the degrees and courses offered by the Institute and how dioceses around the world are trying to set up similar institutes. Now, as far as the Institute goes, I'd love to talk about this is a, um, has a program with its own faculty that offers lic- licentiates and doctorates. So what are some of the courses, um, how long to earn those degrees, and and then is the licentiate equivalent to what in America we call a master's degree? Now we offer residential uh, in, in in residence. We offer three courses, uh, three programs. One is uh, the diploma course, what we call as a diploma here, which in American language would be a certificate course of one semester, okay. and we do that in English and in Spanish which is exceptional for Roman universities. Sure. Uh, but uh, we, we think that caters to those um, uh, populations that in the Catholic Church are the most numerous ones, English speakers and Spanish speakers. Then we offer the licentiate, which is in effectively in American or uh, in other systems the master's degree equivalent. It is a full ecclesiastical degree, which means uh, it is, for a priest or a religious, it allows to teach in a seminary uh, or in a faculty. And um, the third degree that we offer is a doctorate in anthropology, and that uh, gives you access to an academic career. Now, um, when it comes to the title of the courses, uh, these deal with uh, the different things that we have uh, in our, uh, on our safeguarding portfolio, what is childhood and childhood and culture, remembering that we we have students from 125 countries here. Sure. So, uh, that and childhood varies. And they childhood are, varies greatly. Right. You're an adult in some countries at 19, and you're a teen in others. Yes, or, I mean, how do people talk about sexuality in, in different languages, sure. uh, in different cultural contexts? Uh, so then, uh, what uh, what can we say about who are the victims and how do you approach victims of abuse? Uh, how do you encounter them? What, what types of therapy are there that uh, are helpful? Then who are the perpetrators within the church, outside the church? How do you deal with perpetrators? Um, then questions of, about the institutional settings that favor or, or impede abusive behavior. Um, other things that uh, we, we address are uh, all kinds of definitions like what, are, what can we consider uh, a spiritual abuse, abuse of power, who are vulnerable sure. persons because there is no commonly accepted or acceptable and legally binding 
definition across the globe that would define uh, once and for all who, who vulnerable persons are. Fascinating. I had no idea. Wow. Yeah, then the whole question about the care element. I mean, uh, how do we uh, care for victims? Secondary victims means family members, friends, colleagues, schoolmates are of victims. How do we uh, deal with parishes where abusive priests have been working and very often are split between those who defend the priest and those and don't believe sure. uh, the, the allegations and others who condemn the priest from from the outset? So these are some of the topics that we address. And many people would ask, uh, why do you need a semester or even two years uh, for such a program? And I can tell you, the deeper you go into this, the more you discover what what is connected, what uh, what is linked to all the questions of how can we keep people as safe as possible. Oh, I, I can't even imagine. Now, the, what is the length for a licentiate? This is a master's degree. is a full second cycle academic degree of four semesters, two years. Two years. And um, the doctorate? The doctorate depends. I mean, normally a doctorate will take three years. Uh, it depends, of course, uh, whether one has f uh, full-time free for doing that or whether has some, some of our students have family or need to uh, keep working. But normally a doctorate sure. will take three years and we have had a number of very interesting topics for um, the doctorates. For example, we had a, a sister from Togo in Africa. She did a doctorate on the sexual abuse committed against religious women by clergy in Western Francophone uh, Africa. Or uh, we had a, a priest, a missionary priest from India who works in Central America and he was looking into the family history of members of the Marras, of the the violent youth gangs in Central America oh, right. and how the, the family history very often of, of extreme violence at home links back uh, to uh, their, their membership in such gangs and the type of abuse that they are committing. What about abuses today? I, my question, what I had written down was, you know, the sex abuse cases today are numbers greatly reduced. But I find that that, that question almost has to be uh, asked twice because if we're talking about minors, it's one thing, and if we're talking about vulnerable people, it's really another. But I mean, are we, can we be thankful in any small way that numbers are down? Or are they down on child abuse and up on vulnerable? Actually, I can't reply to that with precision because we don't have numbers, to the, especially to the letter. Because the, the, the discussion and scientific research and concrete numbers on sexual or other types of abuse in regard to vulnerable adults uh, is, is very recent. So we, we need to wait a few sure. more years to, to compare that. Uh, however, one thing is for sure, we know that in whichever country um, the church leadership uh, has taken serious steps and made serious efforts in safeguarding, the numbers have gone drastically down. Mm. Uh, that is true for the U.S., as we can see in every report, every year's report by the U.S. CCB, um, which is based on the numbers from the Cara Institute at Georgetown University, uh, which demonstrates that uh, the level of allegations that refer, refer to the recent years after 
2002, after the bishops in America uh, adopted the Dallas Charter, right. uh, are at a minimum, uh, and you honestly, you won't get lower than that because we as human beings won't be uh, capable of eradicating once and for all sure. this. But the, the, the numbers are at a minimum and, and have stayed so over the years. However, we, we need to say that this is not the case all over the globe because I would say maybe 25 to 30 countries in the world, and I talk only about the Catholic Church, I don't talk about other religions, I don't talk about the state uh, and, and sports associations sure. and others, only in 20 to 30 countries in the world there have been taken serious steps and enforced steps and implemented steps to uh, take safeguarding serious in terms of guidelines that were implemented, in terms of formation that were, has become obligatory, mandatory for uh, groups like priests, like, uh, like uh, pastoral workers, like sure. nurses and so forth. For sure, wherever those measures have been taken, the numbers have come, come down to almost uh, um, zero, never zero completely, but very low. Well, in some countries where they haven't, where the numbers are not as good, shall we say, is it often a question of kind of a cultural pushback on that? T till now, I've come back from, from Africa recently, right. and uh, till now there are uh, people in some parts of the world that say that child sexual abuse by clergy is a Western problem, is a problem of the secularized societies and so forth. But when you talk with the bishops, when you, talk, when you know about the numbers of allegations, when you see how sexuality is very often completely repressed and, uh, and not talked about in the public discourse, and let alone uh, from in the, within the Catholic Church, uh, you realize that this is a, a phenomenon that you see across the globe. And there is no country that, and no culture that is completely exempt of it. So uh, this is very often just uh, a point that is made uh, to avoid any kind of facing reality. Sure. And unfortunately, in some parts of the world, uh, the church, local church, the bishops' conferences, uh, the religious have made the same mistakes as have been made by uh, the, the bishops in, in other parts, I mean in western parts of, sure. uh, of, the, of the globe. And, and unfortunately, there is a question, why don't we learn better and faster from experiences and best practices in one part of the world and, and uh, can course. transport that to other parts. So now tell me, Father, and I know your time is precious, so this is pretty much my last question, but Father Zollner, you do a lot of traveling. Are you setting up a network of, of institute, uh, I, I don't want to say clones, but you know what I mean. We, we have two things. One, uh, there, there is a certain number of institutes or centers that have been established in Catholic universities, mainly in the Jesuit Catholic universities in uh, Latin America, uh, in Asia, and in, uh, in, in some parts of uh, Africa, that are very much modeled according to our uh, former Center for Child Protection. And now, interestingly, also they call themselves safeguarding institutes or oh, good. In, in care for vulnerable because it has become clear uh, as I said before that we need to go beyond focusing on children only. Right. Secondly we have established uh, two or three years back uh, an organization that is called the Global Safeguarding Alliance which brings together at this point 
eight different Catholic uh, institutions at Catholic universities, from the Catholic University of Australia to the Jesuit University in uh, Chile uh, to the Catholic University in Ghana and other parts um, of the world, uh, academic institutions at Catholic universities that work in the area of child protection on a scientific uh, basis and in research. And we have, we are in the, on the way to, uh, to start uh, a first common research project in collaboration with that network. And you know, this, this is how we should take advantage of this uniqueness of a Catholic global network, which is, we only have, but we don't really make use of it. And once we will have numbers uh, from different parts of the world, we can compare better and we can also sure. see what are the specific culturally colored risk factors or protective factors in this continent, in this country, in this culture compared to others. And that would help us to be much more focused and much more effective in our safeguarding sure. measures. Well, you know, you do such extraordinarily important work that impacts so many levels of society, as uh, you emphasize today, not just abuse of children, but abuse of vulnerable people. How do we define vulnerable? And um, I just want to thank you for your time. I know that it's limited and you have so much work to do with all the courses, but um, I just also want to say God bless you in your work, your faculty, in setting up new institutes and um, any time that I can be of help, that we at EWTN, simply by acknowledging your work, if we can promote it in our own way, we're only too happy to do so. So, God bless you, and where's your next trip to? <laughs> My next trip will be to Austria, where within the Catholic Church, they actually have set up very early on for European standards, uh, a, a very effective victims assistance uh, and support uh, 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 system. And I thank you very much for your interest and for the time uh, on your show and, and for all what EWTN uh, has done in when, we, when they invited me to, in different occasions uh, for different types of interviews. Um, and I would also thank all those who are listening now uh, for their interest in this sure. and, and for continuing, one, to pray uh, for all those who work in the area of safeguarding and two, to do whatever each one can do in his or her capacity, in, in, in which parish they are, in which professional role they are, exactly. in which type of family, community, or whatever they live, each one can do something so that our church becomes a safer place and is a safer place, exactly. uh, because this is not only for the experts. So thank you very much for having me, and all the best to you. Well, God bless you, and safe travels. For more information on these stories or to check out Joan's blog and to ask her a question, go to EWTN.com. That's EWTN.com. Thanks for listening to Vatican Insider on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.